You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. This is the last week of the Shaking series, sermon series. Although you guys haven't been here for the last couple weeks, I actually did get around to posting the podcast up. And so I had to do like four weeks all at once. So if you do want to go back and listen to the sermons that maybe you missed or re-listen to some of the sermons, they are now up on the podcast. I apologize for being lazy and not getting around to them the last few weeks, but they are all up and it is up to date now. And so you can go back and re-listen to those. But um, this week, we're going to continue kind of building off of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Um, those of you guys who remember, those of you guys who were here, two weeks ago, we talked about how hardships will come against us as Christians and, and um, non-Christians alike. Hardships will still come against us, even though we have Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't protect us from hardships. And then the next week, so last week, we talked about our foundation. And so when the hardships do come, if we have our foundations built in the right place, it becomes easier to deal with those hardships. Um, we can deal with those hardships with the right frame of mind. And so today we're going to continue building off of that um, foundation and kind of wrap this whole thing up. <sighs> Pun intended. But... <clears throat> So I want you guys to do something. I want you to make eye contact with somebody completely on the opposite side of the room. And I want you to shout at them, God is doing something today. I didn't say whisper. Shout to them, God is doing something today. Keep eye contact. Keep eye contact until it gets awkward. It's not awkward yet. I don't know why you guys are looking at me. All right, Bryson made it creepy. All right, we're good. <laughs> you guys can now look back up. <laughs> Bryson, thank you for letting me pick on you every single week. It's great. Uh, but if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 16. I forgot to write it down in my notes. <laughs> turn to Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. If you don't have your Bible, obviously it will be up on the screen. <clears throat> Matthew 13, 16. I'm on top of it today. It's great. It's going to be a good day. All right, Matthew 16. See, I'm lost when I don't put things in my notes. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, <clears throat> others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he said, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, blood but by my father in heaven. The way I kind of look at this today is if it happened today, what it would kind of read like is, well, my dad says he was a really good teacher. Uh, my best friend who's an atheist says he was completely made up. But Peter said, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, good job, Peter. You have gotten your answer from God himself. It took a revelation from God for him to even know who Jesus was. And as we have covered in the past, who God is to me personally is completely worthless 
Who God is to me is completely worthless if it is not an accurate representation of the truth. Who God is to me is completely pointless if it isn't the true God. Because in the end, if it isn't based on God and isn't the true representation of Jesus himself, um, who God is to me is merely just a representation of myself, a figment of my imagination. So in order to understand God, we have to know who God is in the first place. That's the way I like to, th- uh, like to think about it is I-, I can have a horrible experience with water. I know this sounds weird, but maybe I have this near-death experience with water. And I see water in a different way. And so I began to label water as a murderer. Maybe one of my best friends drowns. I began to label water as a murderer. I want nothing to do with it. I want it completely out of my life. But when the time comes, and eventually I'm dying of dehydration, the truth of what water really is will become very clear one way or the other. And so I know that sounds absolutely silly because why would you label water a murderer? But that happens so often with God. People will have this tragic life experience and they will begin to define God based off of those experience. Or maybe somebody else told them who God is and they will base their entire belief on God based on what somebody else told them who God is. You have to find out for yourself. You need to take the time, read the scripture, spend time praying to actually find out who God is himself. Because otherwise you can't define God. Some of you guys actually, uh, those of you guys that are from Alliance, Nebraska, might actually know who my older brother is. Uh, his name is Michael Garcia. He's the middle school guidance counselor at the Alliance Public Schools. But uh, nonetheless, when I was in second grade, so I'd have been about seven years old, making my brother almost 18 because he's a, just shy of 11 years older than me. Um, he told me that when you eat apple seeds, apple seeds, when you eat apple seeds, that when they're in there inside of your stomach, <clears throat> the seed will actually begin to sprout. And then eventually, if it goes unchecked, eventually a apple tree will begin to grow out of your stomach and kill you. As a seven-year-old, I thought this was easily the most important piece of information anybody had ever told me. Like, I loved eating apples, and so I was super paranoid about eating apple seeds because I literally believed if I accidentally ate one of those, it would grow a tree inside of me and kill me. And so one day I'm going to school, and I decided this information, man, the school needs to be teaching this to people. Like, why have they not taught this to me already? And so I go to school, and I go up to my second grade teacher, and I'm like, hey, teacher, and I didn't like this teacher already anyway, but I'm like, hey, My brother told me this piece of information, like, it is super important. You need to tell everybody. And uh, my teacher had the gall to tell me that what I was telling her was absolute nonsense. Now, easily, I mean, come on, this information is extremely important, right? And so as a seven-year-old kid, I immediately got offended because my brother told me. My brother told it to me, and my brother had never really led me astray up until that point. He was usually pretty believable. And so I knew for a fact what my brother had told me was true. And so then this teacher had the nerve to tell me that my brother, a guy I looked up to, a guy that had never lied to me, to that point, to my recollection, was lying to me. 
She had the nerve to tell me that he was lying to me. How dare her? That little incident turned my dislike for that teacher into a straight-up disdain. Like, I began sabotaging the classroom, like, marking up the floors with, like, crayons and stuff after class. Like, like it got for real after this. Because this teacher had the gall to tell me that my brother was lying to me. And that what this piece of information I held on to was completely false. But to a seven-year-old kid, it didn't really matter what the truth was. All that really mattered was what I believed to be the truth. What I thought the truth was. And my willingness as a seven-year-old kid to discredit my teacher who I already didn't like. And as a seven-year-old kid, believing my brother and believing he was a flawless individual that I looked up to, none of that really was important to a seven-year-old kid. Or all of that was what was important to a seven-year-old kid. The truth didn't matter. Eventually, as I get older, obviously I realized that my brother wasn't flawless, and my second, uh, second grade teacher was in fact correct, and I realized that I hated her for just telling me the truth and being honest with me. I absolutely despised her, and I sabotaged her classroom for being honest. Because what it really comes down to as humans, as mankind, our hearts can have the greatest intentions, but in reality, they can still be so flawed. Jesus is saying, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my, but by my Father in heaven, that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's continue in verse 18. Verse 18 says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, will not overcome it. I love the wording that Jesus uses here. The gates of hell will not overcome it. Like, when I think of a weapon of the enemy, I think of flaming arrows, or I think of swords or you know, on fire, or I think of this giant demon thing that's like insanely powerful. Those are the weapons I kind of think of. But Jesus is saying here that the gates of hell will not overcome it. The weapon that hell uses in this situation is a, a gate. Like, how many of you guys have ever been afraid of a gate? How many of you guys have ever been walking down the street and then you look up and you see this scary looking gate and you're like, oh, there's a gate and you run the other direction. I know it happened to Matt a couple times. I've seen it. He screams like a four-year-old girl because of the gate, the scary gate. <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, VeggieTales. That's great. But the importance of what Jesus is saying here is not lost. Basically, what Jesus is saying is that when it comes to the church, the church is what is moving. And the only way that hell can stop the church is by getting in the way. When we are doing what we're supposed to do, the most important weapon that hell has is just being a gate to prevent us from being who we're supposed to be. And it's saying that on that rock, Jesus will build His church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. 
The gates of hell will not be capable of stopping the church when we act like we're supposed to act. But then this new age Christianity starts to seep in a little bit. This new version of Christianity starts to become the the latest fad. And we start to identify ourselves with Jesus and we start to try to distance ourselves from the church. We start to, to, to get this new age of hyper-spirituality where we have this great viewpoint of Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. But church and religion and, and all that organized Christianity is bad. Or even worse, we get this viewpoint like church is just simply going to church at 10.30 in the morning, 10.30 to, to noon. That's church. Or coming to Chi Alpha at 7.30 at night till 8.30 at night. That, that's church and that's my religious duties and I can knock off church as my, my obligation to God for that week. Both of those, even though they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, are just as damaging to what church really is. They're both just as bad for what church is. But we begin to disassociate ourselves from even just the word church. From even just calling ourselves a church. We start calling ourselves a, an assembly and we start calling ourselves a, a fellowship, a, a whatever. We begin to disassociate ourselves with the church because we begin to put this negative connotation on even just the word church, let alone the representation of what the church really is. We even begin to disassociate ourselves from the word Christian. I'm not a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm not a Christian though. I'm a follower of Jesus. On our Facebook page, we put a follower of Jesus instead of just saying, I'm a Christian. We begin to put these negative connotations with these words and we replace, uh, replace our relationship with Christ with sayings like, Oh, I've got this personal relationship, but I don't agree with organized religion or I don't believe I have to go to church in order to, to do what Jesus wants me to do. And all of that is just as damaging as the next one. We read in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. We love Jesus. We love even just the the name Jesus. We love saying Jesus. It just comes off our, our lips just so amazingly. We just love saying Jesus. We love Jesus. We love everything about Jesus. Like I said, we say things like, I'm a follower of Jesus. Instead of I'm a Christian, we try to disconnect ourselves from even just the, the concept of church. But we don't have the same love for the church as we do for Jesus. We don't have the same passion for the body of Christ as we do for the actual Christ. The body of Christ and, and the church is over here and Jesus is over here and, and this is all we need to be at and we can completely ignore this. We kind of get in this mindset and it, and it happens sometimes over time. Sometimes it happens intentionally. Sometimes it's very deliberate and sometimes it's just accidental. We start to pay so much attention to Christ and we completely start to ignore the church. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that mindset. And there's a problem with behaving that way. There's a problem with treating the church like that awkward uncle 
that when somebody asks you if you're related to them, you're kind of like, well, he's kind of related, but we don't really talk to him and we don't associate with him and we don't belong to the same family. But, but DNA wise, we are together. We start talking about church like that and it's, it's so flawed and it's so not okay. I'm not saying you're not supposed to have an amazing, excellent relationship with Jesus Christ because it is about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. But it is extremely detrimental for us as Christians, for us as a follower of Christ, to not like his bride and say that with the same breath as we say we love Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ. We can't say we love Jesus, but we hate his bride. It doesn't work. It doesn't equate. It doesn't uh, add up. I mean, I've had friends before that started dating somebody I just absolutely hated. And your relationship with that friend goes south because you begin to treat that friend differently because of who they're dating. And you begin to see that friend differently. And, and uh, that friend begins to treat you differently because you treat his girlfriend or wife differently. And I can tell you, as a matter of fact, best friend or not, you can talk trash about me and I won't really care, but you talk trash about my wife and I'm probably going to punch you in the face. I care about my wife. I care about my bride. And in the same way, Jesus cares about his bride. Jesus stands up for his bride. Jesus wants to protect his bride. The bride is important to Jesus. And so we can't talk crap about Jesus's bride and assume that we can still love Jesus with the right uh, the right concept and the right perception. Our relationship with Jesus begins to get flawed if we don't see his church the right way. And so where did it happen? Where did it, where in the world did it begin to begin, uh, to, to be okay for us to trash talk the church and to say these negative things about the church and, and behave that way? towards the church because when it really comes down to it, God has the intent to use the church. God has a love for the church. God has a passion for the church, for the body of Christ. Ephesians, and you can turn there in your Bible if you want to, Ephesians 3, starting in verse 10, says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished through Jesus Christ our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I'm going to read that part again with specifically talking about the church. His intent was that now through the church, all of this would come to pass. The church is the key to what Jesus wants to do on earth. The church is extremely important to Jesus. But it becomes just as flawed, and this is what I was talking about earlier, it becomes just as flawed when we begin to view our relationship with Jesus Christ through the lens of just ourselves. When we view the body of Christ through the lens of just ourselves, we, we see the, the, the passion for Jesus Christ through 
the lens of just ourselves. It can be just as flawed as talking trash about the church. When we go to church and we believe that our faith is our faith, my faith is my faith, your faith is your faith, we are completely separate individuals, we have nothing really in common, and I need to focus on myself, I need to focus on my life, I need to focus on getting myself right, and you can focus on yourself, and we can both do this while we look at Jesus Christ. That begins to become just as detrimental as having a complete disdain for the church. Even though you're a part of it, you're not acting like it. Because what happens then is we begin to assume that it's the job of the pastor to bring new people in. It's the job of the pastor to spread the gospel. It's the job of the pastor to lead people to Christ. When in reality, I'm just as much a part of this body as you are. My wife is just as much a part of this body as you are. And you are just as much a part of this body as I am. We are the body of Christ. And as we just read in Scripture, God had an intent, and His intention is to speak through or speak to humanity through us, through the church. And so much of what God is wanting to do here, what God is wanting to do in the United States, what God is wanting to do in Nebraska, what God is wanting to do in Shadron, on the Shadron State College campus, and what God is wanting to do through Chi Alpha is accomplished when we recognize that we are a part of the body, that we are a part of the church, and we collectively are the bride of Christ. And through us, all of us, God's purpose for the Shattern State College campus is revealed through us. Through the church, the wisdom of God is made known. That means through Chi Alpha, through the body of Chi Alpha, the wisdom of God is made known. Now look around here. Look around at each other. Seriously, look around at each other. We have people from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different countries in this room. We have people from absolutely different uh, outlooks in the future. We've got future teachers. We've got future nurses. We've got future police officers, maybe even future mechanics, farmers. We have people of complete different backgrounds here. And in reality, when it comes to society, there is no justifiable reason why we should be able to get together and get along with each other as well as we do outside of Jesus Christ. We are all so different, but when we have Jesus Christ, we have a commonality and we can see each other eye to eye and we can see each other the way Jesus Christ sees us. And when the outside world sees that, sees that relationship, sees that passion for each other we have, that love for each other we have, they want to have a part of that. Because Scripture says that they will know us by the way that we treat each other. They will know we are followers of Jesus Christ by the way that we treat each other. And the way that we treat each other should be so appealing that the outside world wants to be a part of it. 
But lately we've decided that in church, and this is the broad spectrum church, not Chi Alpha here, Shattern State College, um, but the broad spectrum of the church, it's begun to, to become uh, commonplace that if we don't like the lighting in our church, if we don't like the, the worship is too loud, or maybe the fact that there isn't worship, that it's just video worship, or the, the pastor's sermons go too long, or the whatever this is, we come up with this excuse, and then we church hop to another church. And then once that church gets tiring on us, we then church hop to another church. And then when that church gets tiring on us, we church hop to another church. And we're constantly viewing the church as to what we can get out of the church. Like I said, this is broad spectrum, and I'm not talking specifically about Shatter State Chi Alpha, but we start to get this perspective of what we can receive out of the church that we completely lose sight of what the purpose is of us being a part of the body is what we can give back to the church. What can I give? What talents has God given me so that I can benefit others in the body of Christ? But we get it on our hearts that as soon as our hearts grow cold, as soon as we get bitter, as soon as there's somebody we don't even like, we hop to another church and we become a part of a different church so that our ears can be tickled. And that's completely against Scripture. Because when in reality, we are human, I'm human, you're human, we are a part of this community, we are a part of this church, you're going to have disagreements with each other, you're going to have awkwardness, you're going to have Bryson staring at you funny when you walk in, people are going to get offended, people are going to have disagreements with you, there's going to be fights, you are still human and I am still human and we are flawed but we have to find a way to get past that. And we have to find a way to forgive each other. We have to find a way to stop harboring stupid offenses long enough so that we can actually behave like the body of Christ and we can actually behave the way that God designed us to behave. Because when we behave the way Jesus designed us to behave. And last week we talked about how God designed, or, or the, the grace of Jesus Christ was designed with hardships in mind. The body of Christ was designed with hardships in mind. And so when we begin to love each other, we begin to care about each other, we begin to look at each other the way Jesus Christ designed us to be and to look, not even the gates of hell can hold us back. Let alone teachers, let alone other students, let alone other agendas, let alone state laws, let alone whatever else. Not even the gates of hell itself can stop us from progressing forward when we become what Jesus designed us to become. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. 
For above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. What He's telling us here is that everything that God wants to reveal in us and to pour into us can only really truly be received in the container of us. It is extremely, and it would be extremely prideful for me to believe that the fullness of what God has in store for Chi Alpha can only be received in me. And it would be naive for us to believe that the fullness of what God wants to do in Chi Alpha can only be contained in the power and or in within the vessel of just me. And it's, or the power, or excuse me, it's extremely naive to believe the power of what God wants to do in Chi Alpha can be contained in just myself or just my wife and I or just the leadership or just the staff. It's extremely naive because in reality, the fullness of what God wants to do in Chi Alpha can only be received in the container of Chi Alpha as a whole. And you are a part of that family. And you are a part of that body. As much as you feel like you aren't, maybe you're new here, maybe you only come every once in a while, but you are a part of this body. And the fullness of what God wants to do in Chi Alpha, you are a part of that. And you are important to that. You are a key piece in what God wants to do on this campus. Because when we can come together we can let our hurts and let our pride and let our stubbornness and let our laziness go. We, as a body, can become something absolutely extraordinary that we cannot become on our own. Because we, as the church, become that. And when the world is full of despair and anxiety and and depression, we, the body of Christ, are a beacon of hope. The church is the future. The church is the future of what Jesus wants to do on this earth. And we as a body need to reflect Jesus Christ. Because as we said before, it really is all about Jesus. And we need to be a part of that. The church, which is His body, is the fullness of Him in Jesus Christ. How many of you guys have ever flown on a plane before? Quite a few guys. Almost all of you guys. Awesome. I can remember a couple of years ago, <clears throat> it was the first time my wife had actually flown on a plane. We were going to Phoenix from DIA, and uh, she was super nervous, and I was assuring her everything was going to be fine because I had flown a ton of times. I was like, it's nothing crazy. There will be some turbulence. Everything's going to be good. We're going to land. And everything was good. But it just happens that her first flight is the first flight in which there was enough turbulence that I seriously began to fear for my life. Like one of those moments when the plane just drops out of the sky, and then afterwards, the uh, the flight or the the captain gets on the the intercom system and he's like, "Hey, just need to make sure everybody's okay. The plane is is okay. I promise. 
Um, everything is going okay. We're going to land in Phoenix in like half an hour. Just make sure you stay buckled for the rest of the trip. Um, our apologies for what just happened. Like, you know, the turbulence was bad when the captain has to get on and be like, Hey, just need to make sure you guys are all still alive back there and keep your seatbelts on, please. Like, it was one of those moments where I've only ever had a couple of moments like that in my life where legitimately the thoughts going on in your mind are, I'm pretty sure we're dead. Like that feeling is not a fun feeling. And so I'm sitting there trying to make sure that my wife is staying calm, considering the fact that it's the very first plane ride she's ever been on. And so I admit now that I did kind of lie to her. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've totally been through things like that before. It's completely normal. And she was like, oh, OK. And then in deep down, I'm going, oh, crap, we're going to die. Like, <clears throat> maybe I shouldn't lie. But shortly after that, the, the turbulence did stop and uh, the oxygen masks didn't pop out or anything. But we made it safely. What's that? Yeah, it dropped fast enough. Yeah, if you weren't buckled in tight, you it dropped out of the sky. And yeah, I had uh, telling the truth, I had never experienced turbulence like that. I had experienced a, a pilot turning while landing, like at 120 miles an hour, and even that was less scary than what I experienced on that plane with Courtney. Like that was it was great, but. <clears throat> When you're flying in a plane and the turbulence does get bad enough that the oxygen masks deploy, the one thing they do always tell you is put the oxygen mask on yourself before you try to attend to, to anybody else. You need to take care of yourself before you can help anybody else. And that's really what I'm saying here is we the church, we the body, need to make sure that we've put the oxygen on ourselves. We need to make sure we're taking care of each other before we can even dream to begin putting the oxygen on anybody else. Because the church is the oxygen mask for the world. And oftentimes we have these big, huge dreams of changing the campus and revival and, and all these other things. But... In reality, Jesus can only do those things and Jesus can only really work that way when the church has taken care of itself and is in a place where the oxygen is in place over the church. Because what good is revival if there's nobody there to disciple? If there's nobody there to lead them? If there's nobody there to, to sit beside them? Now, I'm not saying God doesn't do anything outside of the church. But what I'm saying is Scripture is very clear that the church is a pivotal, extremely important key as to what Jesus is wanting to do. And so today I'm asking you to, to do something a little bit different. And I want you to make the decision today to recognize the church as important to recognize yourself as an important piece of the church. I want you to decide today to see the church the way that Jesus sees the church. Because I just said that the church is the bride of Christ. It is the body. Imagine how Jesus looks upon His bride. We should look upon His bride in the same way as Jesus does. 
And I want you to make that commitment today to look upon the church the same way Jesus does. That the church matters to you. That this church matters to you. That this church is nobody else's responsibility but your own. And that we, the people of the church who believe in Jesus, are the ones who are going to carry the mission forward to reaching the Shadron State College campus for Christ. Because when we receive freely what God generously gave to us, we then can give freely as a body to help deliver what God wants to do into the rest of the world. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that Jesus has given the church. We as a body are not powerless. We as a body are not without hope. We have a purpose and together we have been given the power to bring change to this campus. To bring Jesus Christ to this campus. To bring hope. To bring love. To bring passion. To bring all of the things that are good in this world to this campus. Jesus, God, has given us the power to bring this as a body of Christ. And I'm not saying this is about how much God needs you to give uh, financially or in time or in effort or anything like that. I'm not focusing on anything individually. This is about whether or not we are going to remain on the sideline and watch God do amazing things or if we are going to make ourselves available to let God do great things in and through us. Are you content just being on the sideline or do you want to be a part of what God is doing? Because what it really comes down to is if this church, if Chi Alpha, Shatter State College, if we together, not picking out anybody individually, but if we together don't elevate our faith, elevate our courage, elevate our sacrifice, elevate our giving, God will raise up another church that will. And I don't ever want God to say, I waited on you. I waited on you, Shadron State Chi Alpha. I waited on you, but you never stepped up and I had to call somebody else. Because this is our campus. And this is our moment to bring change. Because there are people all over this campus that need what we have in this body. They need Jesus Christ. And we can set ourselves up to a point in which we can take the oxygen and place it on other people's faces. We can give them Jesus. We can show them Jesus. We as a body can do it. But in order to do that, we have to stop trying to get whatever we can take And we need to start giving everything that we can, everything that we must for God. 
because what it really comes down to is we. Look around again. Look around, seriously. We, together, are the church. I don't care if there's somebody in this room you don't like. I don't care if there's somebody in this room that has wronged you. I don't care if there's somebody in this room that, that you can't stand. You guys together are this church. You guys together are this body. We as one are the church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for uh, today. The opportunity we've been given to establish ourselves as the church. The dedication to step into this room and say, God, I want everything that You have for my life. That we have taken time out of our lives to come here today to hear what You have for us and for our, for our lives. And so, Lord, I'm asking You to help us. I'm asking You to help us be who we're supposed to be. I'm asking You to help Chi Alpha be who we're supposed to be. Help us to become what You want us to become. Help us to embody what You want us to embody. Help us to believe what we need to believe. Help us to love each other the way that You love us. Help us to see other members of the body the way that You see us. And help us to love the church the way You love the church. Help us to be the bride of Christ that we're designed to be. Lord, we love You and we thank You. Amen. We've set Chi Alpha up in a way that there is always somebody available to disciple you. And so if you're not getting discipled, it's not because there's nobody there. It's because you haven't taken the effort to step forward and be discipled. We have staff. We have student leaders. We have small groups. We have the setup to disciple you. My dream and my goal and my vision and, and Courtney's alongside mine and our vision as the leaders together of Chi Alpha is that every single one of you guys wouldn't step foot in here and not be discipled. We want to see every single person in here discipled so that eventually you can go and make disciples. Our motto is making disciples who then make disciples. And so the flaw isn't in the structure. The flaw isn't in the leadership. The flaw isn't in Jesus. The flaw isn't in the church. The flaw really has to come from within ourselves. And like I said, we need to stop pretending like it's somebody else's fault and take responsibility for our own discipleship. We need to seek it out. We need to be proactive in being discipled and getting closer to Christ. <clears throat> like I said, we need to make sure that we have the oxygen in place. And so today, before we leave, we're going to have one more worship song. And I'm going to ask everybody to stand up.
And the reason why I love that we finished on this sermon before Easter is because I'm not going to give an Easter sermon because the vast majority of you guys that go to church on Sunday morning are going to hear an awesome Easter sermon from wherever your home church is. Pastors at churches all over this country and all over the world take a lot of time and they prepare weeks, if not months out for their sermon on Easter Sunday. And so I didn't want to take away from what your pastor, your your local home pastor, or your pastor here at Shattering Community Church is going to preach on Sunday. But I wanted us to recognize the importance of why Jesus did what he did. And the way Jesus built the church and the way he designed things to continue forward. And so with that, I, I want you guys to recognize as a part as I'm calling you out to be a part of the body, I want you to also recognize that the body is there for dual purposes. Not only so that you can step up and join and be an active part of the body, but as as a, a venue of other people who have stepped up and are an active part of the body that can help you get through the crap you're going through in college. Like, sometimes life sucks. And these guys around you are a part of the same body as you are. And we are here and we are, we're listeners. We're, we're able to, to help you get through that trash, that, that depression, that garbage, that hardship. And you need to have as much dedication for the body as you do trust in the body. You need to trust that there's people here who care for you and want you to succeed as well. Because it goes both ways. As much as you dedicate towards it, you have to trust it. And so in order for the body to be beneficial to us, and so that we can be a beneficial part of the body, we have to learn to trust the body again. And so as one body, I want us to sing this worship song. And so I want you to get out of your mind that you're singing a worship song for yourself. You're not going to sing this worship song on your own talent or your own abilities for yourself, for your own purposes, with your own intentions. I want you to sing this worship song as a member of the body. Sing this worship song as if somebody else's faith depends upon it. Sing this worship song as if it matters, as if it will affect the person next to you. But again, uh, we just thank you. I don't think we can ever thank you enough for what you have done for us and what you have given to us. And so, Lord, I, I pray that uh, I can remain thankful. That I can remain thankful and that we can remain thankful for not only what you have done but and, and what you have sacrificed for us, but that we could remain thankful for those around us that we could remain thankful that we're not in this walk alone, that the weight of this world is not on our shoulders. Now, Lord, that you have stepped in and you have taken that weight off our shoulders and, and you have helped us to become better men and women. Lord, I pray that us as a body, that, that we as Shattered State Chi Alpha, I pray you could help us to be more like the body of Christ we're supposed to be.
Lord, I pray as this semester comes to a close and as we're talking about, we only have a few weeks left and we've got finals coming up and we've got a lot of stressors that come in and a lot of things that can cause anxiety. Lord, I, I pray that we could just have a spirit of peace, that, Lord, there could just be a peace about the church. There could just be a peace in this body. And that especially on Tuesday nights when we come here to meet, that there would just be a peace in this room. That it would be a welcoming place, not only for us, but for, for people who don't believe in You. That when they step foot in here, they can just see and feel that it's different. And that they could see and feel the way that we treat each other is different. Lord, just help us to become what You designed us to be.